This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Country Wine and Spirits is San Diego's premier wine and spirits purveyor. They offer unmatched beverage service with competitive pricing and a tradition of upscale service. They provide fine wines, a variety of liquors, spirits, craft and imported beers, imported cigars, and exotic tobacco accessories. Country Wine and Spirits is now available online, and if you use cwspirits.com slash heybartender, you get 5% off your entire order. That's right, 5% off your entire order. Go to cwspirits.com slash heybartender and find your favorite spirit or wine today and get 5% off just by using cwspirits.com slash heybartender. Hi, my name is Trevor Schneider, and I'm the U.S. Ambassador for Reka Vodka. Thank you for listening to the Hey Bartender podcast. Hey, bartender, pass me a drink. The reason that I'm here is I need time to think. All the ways of the world. Yes, no, I think the, the only really the call out is that my wife is away traveling for work and my son is asleep. So at any juncture, if my son wakes up, we'll have to just kind of, uh, I'll have to tend to him and then I'll come back and we can do, uh, we can continue. Okay, that's uh, that's just fine. Uh, I can edit out uh, whatever happens. Cool. I've, uh, I've had people... Perfect. On my show with kids climbing over them, I've had people sitting in their car and it starts raining. It, I've had it in almost every situation on this show. <laughs> All right, so let's get started here. Trevor, welcome to Hey Bartender Podcast. I appreciate you uh, taking time out to be on the show. Thank you, Anthony. It's really nice to meet you virtually. Virtually, yes. Uh, most of my, most of my listeners uh, they know that I do most of my interviews through Zoom. That's how I'm able to talk to people from all over the United States. Well, and farther. I've talked to people in Europe and Canada. And that comes in really handy for me because I live on the corner of knowing where. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's a new thing, man. And I think it's uh, it's really great because connecting people, like you said, uh, across the world is something now that we can do, and it's way more socially acceptable considering the new landscape. Of course, yes. Uh, I was doing really good during COVID, so <laughs> getting guests on the show. So um, <laughs> right on. But uh, so. Why don't we start this off a little bit? Where, uh, where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, I grew up there. Um, I played baseball and did, you know, all things that uh, a young man does and went to school there as well. And then uh, moved to New York to pursue a career in entertainment. Wanted to be an actor. And uh, I think we all know how that story goes from being an actor. So you can audition during the days. You work your nights. Mm. And that's how I got into the, the, the nightclub or the, the night industry. Yeah, uh, through bartending and, and managing and, and, you know, a various array of occupations that related to hospitality. Sure. I've, uh, I've talked to a number of people that are working on their acting careers or their comedy careers or any kind of career, and bartending has helped them out, you know, keep the bills paid while they're working on their personal passions. And that I've always thought that was really handy of the industry, you know, because it's a little bit more flexible if you than these nine to five jobs where you can actually go out and do what you want to do. Yeah, I think, I mean, based on all the points that you just said, right, in terms of flexibility, the other thing is, is that if you 
you know, you get in the right spot and you are good, you can even make more money than usually your day job uh, can make you, which is, that was the case for me. And that's why the acting kind of fell by the wayside because I was a pretty good bartender and, and uh, obviously good with people. And, and that helped me, um, you know, tenfold in terms of making money and, and earning a living. Right. So now we got that going. Every show, I have my guests tell a drink special at the top of the show. What have you got for us today? Yeah, man. So my favorite um, way to drink Reca Vodka is through an espresso martini. And it's a very simple espresso martini. It's not like the dessert one that everyone's used to. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because there's not. However, this one is very straightforward and very simple. It's two ounces of Reca Vodka. It's one ounce of a fresh espresso and then a half an ounce of simple syrup. And what you'll notice is that there's no coffee liqueur in there that's gonna kind of weigh the drink down and essentially maybe limit the amount that you're going to have. And now we obviously promote, you know, consuming in a responsible way. However, when you remove that, you know, uh, coffee liqueur, that weight or that viscosity of that drink comes out of it. And you get a better mouthfeel from the nitrogen that's in the fresh espresso. And it's kind of like a crema that you'll get on top. And again, like I said, the recipe is two, one half. It's very simple. Everybody at home probably has these ingredients in their house right now and they can make the drink. Um, But it is truly the only way to drink an espresso martini as far as I'm concerned. And it's a sophisticated way to drink a caffeinated beverage. And uh, it's my favorite drink, man. And I hope that everybody else out there enjoys it when they make it. Yeah, um, as usual, if anybody goes out and tries to make what Trevor was just talking about, let me know what you thought about, about it or let Trevor know what you thought about it. You can email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com or uh, you can email Trevor. We'll give his information towards the end of the show. So right on. let's start at the beginning of your work in the service industry. You started out, you said you're from Jersey, and uh, so you started out looking, you got the acting bug, basically. Yeah, so uh, basically I wanted to, not that I wanted to be, you know, Tom Cruise or, you know, Denzel Washington, but I definitely wanted to get into that entertainment world. And I, I started modeling and, you know, going into the city and going on audition calls and then fell into the acting because acting had a lot more uh, substance from my standpoint that I wanted to be a part of. And I noticed that really early on with the modeling, it was great. However, it was kind of, you know, one dimensional, right? I wanted to talk. I wanted to interact and engage and do all those things. And uh, like I mentioned before, you know, the ability to do that, right? You have to have your days free because that's when those auditions were. And so ultimately the only way that I could earn some money, if it wasn't like booking an acting gig was to work at night. And the hospitality industry really embraced me in a big way and allowed me, it turned into my stage. And I performing and doing all of those things. And I really fell into it and fell in love with it right away. And slowly but surely, um, uh, the, the rejection of the entertainment industry <laughs> and the acceptance of the hospitality industry led me down a path that, you know, basically held me for currently now, I think about 15 years, maybe it's a little bit more, but yeah, started, you know, just kind of uh, picking up shifts here and there or doing events and working for different catering outfits in New York. And then, you know, you meet people and you network and 
you know, you, you continue to do all of the things that, you know, you try to make ends meet and try to pay your rent while you live in New York, which we all know sure. is not cheap. Sure. One of my favorite stories from, uh, an actor, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I always forget his name. He does the, uh, does the voice of Batman and Batman, the animated series. I don't know his name. Okay. I lost it, but, uh, he was talking about yeah. one time that, uh, right after nine 11, he, Kevin Conroy, that's his name. Uh, okay. he was talking about that right after nine 11, when, uh, things were happening, uh, in New York, he decided to make a call and said, I want, uh, I want to help out. What can I do? And the person on the other end of the line said, uh, well, are you able to work at a, re- uh, work in a restaurant? And he says, I'm an out of, wa- out of work, work, uh, uh, actor. Of course I can do that. And, you know, he has this great story how he was, you know, flipping burgers for the firemen the, uh, and the uh, and the police officers. And they, uh, you know, and then uh, somebody decided to announce that, hey, Batman's back here. And, you know, big story about that. But I won't uh, I won't get into it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, having experience working in the hospitality industry, uh, whether you're a cook, yeah. bartender, server, host, hostess, whatever. Uh, you still have a lot of opportunities if you find yourself just all of a sudden realizing I'm not doing anything and I'm broke. And I've always found that to be really handy. If something should go sideways, I can still go back to that if I feel like it. And I think that that's a big point, right? You know, uh, a lot of people, or at least I should say here in the U.S., it's not looked at as maybe uh, maybe I'm embellishing a little bit, but a serious profession. I think that in other parts of the world, it's more of a serious profession. Absolutely. But what I'll say is, is that it's a trade to your point, right? And you never, you never lose that trade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can do it uh, in dire straits. You can do it when financial, you know, situations get difficult. But no matter what, uh, I'll always be a bartender. Uh, I'll always be, you know, out to serve. And, and that's kind of something that really got galvanized with New York and me being there because I really took a lot of pride and it became a passion of mine. And I think that everybody, and I feel like I say this on every interview that I ever do, but I think <laughs> everybody should at least work in the hospitality or the service industry for a little bit because there are way more people out there that don't respect the service industry people. Yeah. Then it is the other way. Obviously, the service industry people get this. You know, you understand. Hey, maybe they're working a double. Maybe they're having a bad day. Exactly. You know, the list goes. The list goes on. But when you see people snapping, or when you see people maybe verbally being disrespectful, it's kind of like, oh, you didn't work in the service industry because if you did, you wouldn't treat people that way. I'll I'll jump down off my soapbox. No, that's trying to encourage people. That's something that I've brought up on many times on this podcast. I've always mentioned, you know, everybody should work in the service industry for at least six months. Then they'll understand why their ranch uh, showed up late or is the ranch really that important or because you get those people sitting at the tables and they uh, they're poking at you, you know, uh, saying, you know, you can't just serve a table. How hard is it? Or when you get that question that always gets on my nerves uh, is this really what you want to do with your life? Are you really happy doing this? 
Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I definitely, that one definitely touches a nerve for me. And I know over all of the years that I did it in the various venues, whether that be in New York or the south of France or Australia, it always became, and it was more so in America than it was internationally, but it always became that thing like kind of, is this all that you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you can get a real job kind of a thing. And, and you know, obviously, I, I'm a lot older now. So when you pull back, I maybe took it a little bit more personal then. But when you think about it, it's like, this was my aspiration. And this was what I enjoyed to do. This wasn't a last resort. This was a choice. And I, I graduated, I had a four year degree, and I worked in that field for a little while. And, and ultimately, I just didn't enjoy it. And that's when I went to New York and tried to pursue a career in entertainment. And so, yeah, not on, not saying I have a doctorate or anything like that, but I definitely have a four-year college degree and I have been educated and I chose to be, you know, a service or a hospitality professional. And I really enjoyed it. And yeah. it, it's really sculpted a lot of my life and a lot of who I am still today, even though I'm not behind the bar, you know, 40 hours, 50, 60, 80 hours a week, like I used to. Now, when you first moved to New York, is that when you first got your first job working in hospitality? So I had done some other stuff small, like in New Jersey, but nothing permanent. It was all, you know, kind of party or catering, uh, you know, in New Jersey. But when I went to New York, that's when I started to get some real shifts. And one of the first places that I worked was just outside of Penn Station. And it's gone now, but there's another restaurant there. It's just not the same restaurant. It was called the Tupelo Grill. And I started as a waiter and it was a friend of a friend, uh, you know, that I had met that his buddy was, you know, running the place. And he said, hey, man, you know, like you have a great personality. You have a tremendous amount of energy. You're, you know, very upbeat. He's like, you should really work in hospitality in New York. I think you would really crush it. Mm. And I kind of at first was like, oh, man, you know. I don't really want to do that. I'd rather do, you know, I'd rather be like a part-time overnight security guard or something like that (laughs) where I just could sit there and relax. But uh, no, yeah, I did that. I started as a waiter um, and I didn't love that, but I did love the engagement and the interaction with the customers. Sure. And I, I got, I can, I can flat out say that I wasn't the best waiter but I was very entertaining (laughs) and, and I was, and I was always captivating the audience or I should say the table in a way as if I had the aspirations to be, you know, uh, Tom Cruise and be the leading man in a a film or an actor. So uh, how would you do that? Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you interact with your customers. Uh, What's your favorite ways of interacting? I mean, I've seen people, so, that are completely yeah. just gray. You can see it in their face. They're just drab. And other people that are maybe Jim Carrey times three. And both yeah. both of those people, people really don't want to be served by. But please give me your secret. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% spot on, man. And I think, you know, for me, right, uh, a little backstory before I directly answer that question is um, I was raised, my father was a, a DJ and owned his own business. So I watched him entertain people my entire life and and grew up sleeping underneath the DJ table behind him. And I also grew up on the flip side of that coin. My mother was his booking agent. So I grew up on the office floor hearing her sell over the phone. Mm. So the, the, to, to listen, and I say this now, but like osmosis of hearing my mother 
you know, have a tremendous amount of passion and a tremendous amount of character and have never meeting these people, only doing it kind of in a cold calling, cold calling scenario. <laughs> I had that kind of base covered. But then I got to get out with my father and watch him do it, you know, face to face or, you know, obviously from behind the DJ booth. And, and it's truly amazing. And what I learned at a young age, and I didn't realize this until I was older, is that, you know, the way that you approach people, the energy that you bring to the table is, it's contagious in a lot of ways, right? To your point of whether it's Gray or it's Jim Carrey times 10. My next point is, is that it's about reading the audience, right? You know, right. there are some guests that don't want Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. that, you know, there are some guests that, that want Jim Carrey and a, a very wise bartender. I don't even remember which one it was, but um, over all the years that I was back there, he said that there are two customers. There are rocks and there are sponges. And if you can identify what the customers are, you can then start to formulate and start to flow chart it out. And going back to that analogy, right? Rocks don't want anything. They just want to be left alone. But the sponge wants to take everything from you. So if you want to tell a story, you want to tell a joke, you want to go into the specials in more detail, if you want to talk about a cocktail history. And and once you identify that, and this is true for everything, this isn't just serving people, but meeting people, playing golf with people, sitting next to somebody on a, you know, an 18-hour flight, once you establish those things, you you can start to, you know, put the puzzle pieces together of how people want to be treated. And ultimately, you know, people want to be treated the way that you want to be treated. So if you pay attention and you listen and you watch for all the cues, you realize that, oh, if you pour it on Jim Carrey style and you don't get any laughs or, or you people are avoiding eye contact, well, then Jim Carrey is not the direction <laughs> that we're going in. You pivot and you go to the other direction and, and you're constantly trying to figure out how it goes. And ultimately, you're doing, you know, you're, you're, you're assessing who you're dealing with and how they would like to be served. Mm. And that's why they're there. They're there to be out. They're there to be entertained. They're there to be served. They're there to enjoy the food and the drink. And you have to be sensitive to that. And if you miss that, like if it's just about, oh, I got to get the biggest tip out of this person, you're probably not going to get the biggest tip out of that person if that's the motivation. Mm. But if you are constantly making sure that they're having a good time and you're constantly at their beck and call in terms of providing whatever it is that they need, whether it's the time or whether it's ketchup or to your point, whether that ranch dressing is coming out or it's (laughs) not coming out to the guest that, you know, that could be the deal that breaks the, you know, the meals back essentially. But to somebody else, you know, you learn really quickly. The response almost always is, let me see what I can do. You try to Mm -hmm. never say no. And you're always trying to take care of the guest in every way, shape and form. So I think I answered, I think I answered (laughs) the original question and gave you a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. See, uh, when uh, I was working behind the bar, uh, there were people that, you know, as soon as they get there, they say Budweiser and a uh, shot of uh, Christian brothers. And uh, then they just sit there and stare at the TV Usually I got the hint that they weren't really in the mood to talk to anybody. They just wanted to have their drink and be quiet for a few minutes. But then there were the other people that expected me to have a joke ready for them 
and I can't tell you how many, and I don't write my own jokes. I regurgitate other people's jokes because I love comedy albums. So you hear me uh, behind the bar talking, uh, using George Carlin lines, uh, Robin Williams, Bill Ingvall, Jeff Foxworthy. You know, I, I bring all those jokes to the table for him. And uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I regurgitated the tater salad story from Ron White because people kept going, (laughs) do the tater salad thing. Watch, watch him, watch him, you know, uh, but yeah. But that was my way to entertain people. Uh, but I learned from a friend of mine who had been bartending a lot longer than I have. You, sometimes you can talk to that person that just wants to have their shot in their beer and watch TV. You maybe just have to talk a little bit quieter and find where you, she she was uh, always really good at finding that common ground where she could talk to people. But for me, I couldn't find it. it but usually it was something about music. I, you know, so, you know, we stand there, I'd stand there and talk about classic rock with them for about a half hour or so. And they're usually pretty comfortable about it. Uh, sure. Cause it was easy. Everybody listens to music, but uh, now if you've got, uh, say you've got the customer that comes in, orders their drink, stares off into the distance, doesn't want really look like they, do you ever reach out and, you know, try to get to know them? So, uh, there, there's definitely been times in venues that would call for a little bit more, and I won't say it in a negative connotation, but the handholding of the guest that is there and is alone and is just kind of trying to have, you know, whether it's their moment of silence or if it's, to your point, you know, that little interaction about a common interest. And music is always a good one, right? Sports is always another good one, depending on the venue. Uh, you know, uh, I've worked in uh, tons of venues, sometimes fashion, not that I ever had an extensive uh, background in fashion or art, but, you know, having, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, having like a broad understanding of like at least a bunch of things. I can talk about anything with anybody at any time. And a lot of that I attribute to being behind a bar for as long as I have, because you are constantly meeting random people that maybe you have nothing in common with, but for the next 45 minutes, it's going to be you staring at them and them staring at you. So I always, my philosophy was always try to make the best of every situation, whether I liked what they were talking about, whether, uh, you know, it was a a star Wars, whether it was (laughs) baseball, what, you know, whatever it was, I would try to engage and you start to acquire through the, my acting skills, you start to realize where the cues are and how to, you know, not sound fake, but show a proper interest so yeah. that you can get things going. And, and one of the other big tactics was, and again, depending on the venue, was to introduce guests to guests because yes. that is so much easier whether people are just, maybe they're, maybe they're shy, right? But if the bartender makes that introduction, it's completely different. And I'm not just talking about like men and women. Uh, I'm talking about men to men, women to women, like everybody, everybody plays here. And that way, to your point, to the other point you made, which is that then it frees me up to serve the other guests because now I'm not no longer the only person that that person is talking to or that guest is talking to. So I can't, in a lot of the venues that I worked at, I couldn't just post up and throw my elbow on the table and be like, all right, Jimmy, let's talk about it all kind yeah. of a thing. It's like, Jimmy, I'll be right back. I got to go serve. And then 
I'll come back and talk to you. But why don't you talk to Susan, mm-hmm. you know, while I'm gone? And, and, and here's a, you know, here's a complimentary drink, a shot for you guys to have. Building that camaraderie, building that kind of like breaking down that wall and breaking that ice, I think is ultimately a, a, another big feather in the bartender's hat about just providing service and making people feel comfortable. Sure. Because that's ultimately sometimes that's the only reason some people, some nights, that's the only reason people go to the bar is that they just want to be out and they want to have their level of socialization. And sometimes it's a lot and sometimes it's a little. Yeah. The, the, that reminds me of a, uh, of, of a customer I had one time. He and I talked a little bit, but he and I both pretty much knew that there was no common ground between us because he wasn't really into rock and roll and I wasn't really into mm-hmm. sports because, uh, uh, you know, everybody expects the bartender to know something about sports. That wasn't me at all. And, sure, sure. Uh, but then one day he comes in with a New York Mets hat on. And I uh, then the wheels started turning in my head because uh, somebody told me years previous to that, nobody wears a New York Mets hat who isn't a fan because of the colors. Yeah. The, uh, they're not, it, it's not stylish. And so if you see somebody with a Mets hat on, they are a Mets fan. And then the, once <laughs> I saw him with the Mets hat on, I, the wheels started turning and I said, Hey, have you talked to this guy? And they must have talked st- statistics for two, three hours. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but you know, you, uh, things that I would look for, like you said, if I see a guy, kid walk in with a star Wars t-shirt, I'm like, okay, that that's where we're going to start talking right there. And it, you know, and it's easy. Cause I, a lot of my pop culture junkie friends hung out at my bar and if he had something interesting that I never heard of Star Wars, Eric, Jim, come over here, you know, and we, 100%. we all make friends. You know? <laughs> and the, it's, it's great. And you'd be surprised on how, how fast time flies when you're in that environment and then how those relationships develop to be potentially more, like you said, like where they become regular customers. And then you're having regular conversations about how you don't know anything about the Mets. But if you wanted to talk about Star Wars, here you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I still, I still maintain that I don't know anything about sports. I but if you want to talk sure. about the Beatles, I can give you a minimum half hour lecture. You know, <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. But um, so uh, you uh, with your acting ability and along with uh, with working in the hospitality industry you said you were doing a lot of networking uh, also. Now, uh, explain to me how that, uh, how all that happened and how that works. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, going back, this is a handful of years, but I think um, ultimately you, you just start to, you know, be very aware, right? And I was always extremely conscious of my surroundings and watching who talks to who and, you know, in what degree and in what frequency. And then you just, you start to realize as things are unfolding that, you know, okay, like maybe you're always testing the waters, right? Like maybe that's a possible route or maybe this is a a possible, you know, to the next step. And I think that, you know, when you're asking around because, you know, any big city, uh, New York, especially, right. it, It is about your network. It is about, who you know, and, and it's always politicking here, left and right. So not only was I doing that when I was working, but I was doing that everywhere because you you kind of have to. And, and when you live in a city like New York, 
you know, I, I, I make this joke. I know that's not the reason why the apartments are small, but the apartments are so small usually that you live in. So you never want to stay there. You always want to be out. And New York, like very many big cities, it's a single life. So you're out with your friends and you're out, you know, meeting people and being social and doing all the things that younger people do. And then, you know, obviously people have specific agendas when they go out and they network. But the, the, the flip side of that coin is I always tried to just kind of let things be organic or at least attempt to be in the right place at the right time. And follow up is is key, right? Follow up, follow up, follow up. It, you know, <laughs> bartenders get a bad rap because, you know, everybody makes the expression of saying like, it's like hurting cats when you try to get them somewhere or get them to respond, you know, they're kind of on their own uh, wavelength or time. Uh, I know for me, for an extended amount of years, uh, you know, I would sleep past noon every day because I wasn't going to sleep until four five or six in the morning yeah. every morning. And with, you know, with daylight savings and, and time change, you know, <laughs> Sometimes the, the sun was going down at 4.45 or 5.15 and, you know, I was walking into work. So there were days, you know, that uh, I had only saw the sun and it was the vampire life. You know, you only see the sun for a couple hours a day and you knew that it was time to go to sleep because <laughs> I have to go to work the next day. And, um, yeah, I think the networking is uh, it's very important. It's still very important to this day. However, the caveat with that is that a lot of people can do those networking things now via social media and you, you can sit on your couch or wherever you are and you can tap in and you can try to engage with people if they're willing to engage back. And then ultimately you get out there and, and you, you know, you give it your college shot, which is um, something that I did multiple times and you can, you can't take rejection, you know, um, too seriously. Because ultimately, you just have to be successful the last time in a lot of cases. Well, working on being an actor, you, uh, you've been through a lot of rejection, I'm sure. Uh, doors closing on oh, you immediately. Not. And so you probably developed a, a pretty thick skin to when it comes to rejection. And I think I did after a while. In the beginning, it is, a, it is an uncharacteristic uh, that I think people would really welcome with open arms. But yes. I did eventually, you know, grow this thick skin of where it's like, you can't take this stuff personal, right? Like it's on to the next and you keep it moving because otherwise you just maybe sit there and sulk or, or waste your time and, and the opportunity may pass it by, mm. you know, it'll pass you by essentially. Right. Uh, like Ferris Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. Um, you said it, man. <laughs> Reiki vodka is made in Iceland, which is a land of massive glaciers and subterranean volcanoes. It's home to psychedelic nocturnal auras, unicorn whales, technically they're called narwhals, and really cozy sweaters. It's a place unlike anywhere and home to a vodka unlike any other. Reiki vodka is made from water that comes from a glacial spring that runs through a 4,000-year-old lava field. It's some of the purest in the world, and the pure water makes great vodka. If you want to find out more about Reika Vodka, go to reyka.com. And if you want to get yourself a bottle, visit cwspirits.com. Remember to use coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 at checkout to get 5% off your entire order.
So there, there had to have been some hard lessons though, uh, as you're working the hospitality industry and because, uh, well, what kind of bars did you, uh, did you bartend at mainly? Did you, uh, do the, do the corporate, the mom and pop brick and mortars or. So I did kind of a slew of all of them. I did, you know, like the college bar, like the NYU bar. I did the rooftop bar, you know, kind of corporate. Um, I did like more of the mixology, you know, kind of bars where cocktails, it was very cocktail forward. And then I also did, um, more nightlife and night club. And I really enjoyed that because that pace was super fast. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to, I'd like to hope that I did this strategically, but I did it kind of in that order that I mentioned it. So I honed my skills at every juncture. And that last juncture, that nightclub juncture, as everybody knows, is you either learn speed or you go back to the drawing board because nightlife is quick. It's not a lot of uh, interaction with the guests. It's loud music. It's leaning in, getting the drinks, getting the money, giving the drinks and going and, and you fly. And I really enjoyed that. And I'd love to chop that up to my attention span, which is constantly moving and constantly <laughs> getting what I think less and less like uh, by generation by generation, because uh, my parents have way more patience than I have. And I think my kid will have more pay or less patience than I have in that so same progress. But I think, you know, ultimately the, I, I love working events as well because people always brought like a different attitude to an event, right? It was very different than say working at the local bar mm. or working at the, you know, um, I'm trying to just populate like a, a normal, consistent regulars. I had regulars, but with regulars, sometimes things get stale, right? And, and people get bored. But with the events, right, it's always something new. It's probably in a new location. There's probably a new theme. There's probably, you know, new drinks. And, and, and that stuff is constantly changing. Not to say that there's anything wrong with the person, to your point earlier, that orders the beer and orders the shot. And that's just the way it is. Mm. But I was looking for that fast pace. And I enjoyed that fast pace and let's face it at the end of the day i was a starving artist and the more drinks that i serve hopefully the more tips that i earn <laughs> and the more money that i made so if i worked in slower bars that result was somewhat beneficial but the nightclub was extremely beneficial and and that's where i made most of my money and those shifts were shorter as well mm-hmm. uh, which ultimately was extremely efficient and towards the end of my career that's where i i ended before i moved on to uh the ambassador life right now uh since you brought up events what kind of events uh because i've got uh the email yeah. that i've uh that i've been talking uh, with uh i believe this was jamie but um yeah uh she mentions that you've uh done uh events like tales uh Tales of the Cocktail, the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, yeah, so I want to know about that. <laughs> oh, so so the Cannes Film Festival was like an amazing opportunity that essentially I got from a friend of a friend who was from France that I had met and worked at that rooftop venue that I mentioned before, and he had moved back to France. And at, as a lot of people know, the Cannes Film Festival is a predominantly American. Um, there's a big American audience 
that goes over there. It's not all American, but they wanted a bartender that spoke English and not spoke French. So uh, there was a brand that was looking for this American bartender and my buddy put me up for it and I got it and it was just absolutely amazing. I ran a night, uh, like a late, late, late night spot for 14 days during the Con Film Festival and it was truly incredible. I served so many celebrities. It was a very small space. Name drop a few. Um, just and it's, go ahead and name drop a few. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is this is going this is going back a handful of years, but um, you know Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton. Uh, this was when Lost was big. The actor Michael Fox. Uh-huh. And um, there were uh, Owen Wilson, um, just to name a few. There were so many. And, you know, right away, right, when they would come up to the bar because they were going to all these bars and I didn't have an accent. So the American actors cooked to me immediately. And they were like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're not French. And I'm like, no. I'm like, I live in New York. And they're like, you live in New York. I live in New York. And then it was like, you just established this rapport like super quick. And it's, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I think that that really changed my whole outlook on the entertainment industry and the hospitality industry. Because when I started doing those things, I really realized how much I loved to serve and how much I loved to be in hospitality versus how much I thought I would have loved to be in the entertainment world because, and I'm saying this, and this is only my opinion, a lot of people in the entertainment industry are not the nicest people in the world. And it's, there's a lot of that. I'm just trying, I'm just here to be successful. So whatever I got to do to be successful, I'm going to do that. I respect that hustle. However, I didn't make it. So I have a different I have a different standpoint on that, and I definitely made it in the hospitality industry. So I'm very I was very proud of that, and I felt like I guess that was a moment that like the universe acknowledged all the effort that I had put in, and it was like a little bit of a hey, slow down, smell the roses for a second, enjoy, and then keep just doing stuff that you love to do, and ultimately that's what I love to do. I, if uh, any of my guests hint towards that they've been around celebrities, I I basically force them to name drop, you know, because I want to, I want to know, <laughs> I want to know who they met. And sometimes they give me a really groovy story to go along with it. But uh, you said Lindsay yeah, Lohan, yeah. everybody knows that story, but <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, no, yeah, I'll spare you that one. <laughs> but uh, well, since you were there, you had to have met, uh, maybe one of your idols or somebody that you looked up to or. So I, you know, I, I didn't meet anyone that I was really looking up to. I just always thought because I love people and I'm always mesmerized by meeting people. And I, I'm a people watcher. I love to dissect the interactions. I love to just physically watch how people interact by themselves with other people. And I'm always jacked in, like in an environment. I'm always listening to multiple things. Women are way better at multitasking. But what I will tell you is that spending the time that I spent behind the bar, you learn how to multitask in that environment very well. Uh, I'm not maybe the best multitasker at home with my wife, (laughs) but behind a bar and in that environment, I'm very comfortable, loud music, people moving around and talking. So I, I think that, yeah, no, I, 
I met Bernie Williams once in a mall buying a belt, <laughs> and I was a big baseball fan, and I was a Yankees fan. So yeah. that was kind of cool. But um, no, no, I didn't meet any of my idols uh, in at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, yeah uh, I've always uh, thought about visiting New York. Just uh, well, I've I've been to New York, but up in Rochester. I mean, way north, nowhere near uh, the big city. Yeah, but uh, sure. I, there's part of me that thinks that I would be stupid and walk around and go, does anybody know where Billy Joel lives? You know, and, Cause uh, he, he's been my idol since I was a kid, but uh, sure. You know, I, you know, he, I hear interviews with him where he talks about that. He hangs out in little Italy and, and I'll be, where the hell is that? See if I can go find him or, but uh, yeah, I, you know, there's always those, uh, those moments where you wish that you could actually meet some people and other people sit back and say, never meet your heroes. But yeah. Uh, you know, cause you know, part of me is afraid to meet Paul McCartney. Yeah. Uh, part in, uh, Billy Joel. Yeah. I'm a little afraid to meet him too. Cause I've got this sure. thing in my head, but you know, if you were a big sure. fan of Robert De Niro and all of a sudden he walks up to you and asks you for, uh, uh, Glenn Livett on the rocks, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, so there, uh, a coworker of mine, uh, I don't know if it was her idol, but she definitely obviously knew who he was and she had the opportunity to serve him a martini. And she said that he was absolutely lovely and he really enjoys Hendrix gin. And, you know, ever since then, cause I was a huge Bobby De Niro fan. It's like, Hey, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Love that guy. Love that guy. But, uh, yeah, no, I always wanted to run in because he's in Tribeca, right? And he had a couple of restaurants in Tribeca. So I was always running around uh, around there, you know, one day just hoping, you know, you would run into him. Uh, I had some drinks at a couple of his uh, restaurants and bars, but never ran into him. <laughs> um, but he's, he's a good guy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on and talk about your ambassadorship. Now, how yeah. did that come about? So, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like a product of necessity, right? After spending all those years behind the bar, right, the body really takes a beat, especially when I'm working in high-volume places. And uh, I had been networking, kind of like the, you know, the question you asked me before, with a lot of people. And I, I met a lot of people that either were bartenders or they had this title called brand ambassador. And I was kind of like, like, like everyone says, what is that, right? Like, how do you describe like what a brand ambassador does, mm -hmm. especially a liquor brand and, and brand ambassador? So I obviously befriended them, some of those uh, people and, and had asked them and a couple of them had said, hey man, like, I think you'd be good at it if you'd be interested. And of course, when I was younger, I was like, you don't know, no, I can make more money bartending. So I'm gonna do this as long as I can until I wanna cross over and kind of save my knees, save my back, save my shoulders, save like all of those things and start seeing the sun uh, <laughs> at a consistent rate. Um, and then, you know, started to get into that game. And because of my network, I knew the right people to ask. And then, you know, it's kind of like buying a used car, right? You just have to kind of scour the scour all the sources and invest some time and kind of see what pops up. So I had interviewed for a couple positions. Uh, and I didn't get them. And then uh, a real close friend of mine, a mentor of mine, his name is Tim Cooper. Uh, he had reached out because he knew that I was looking to make that transition from behind the bar to, you know, uh, I guess a corporate job or a more stable, consistent job. And uh, 
it was this job for Reka Vodka with William Grandson. And so I Googled Reka Vodka and I had another friend that was working for them, but in an agency slash part-time capacity. And uh, so I started asking him questions and then I did some more research. And then I was like, oh, I think this is a really good opportunity. I'm, I have a man bun, a beard and glasses and I'm a nerd. So there's a lot of science behind this brand, which I was really into. And it's vodka. Mm. So in a lot of ways, vodka is always just kind of, I've either been drawn to vodka or vodka has been drawn to me. I've only ever really interviewed for ambassador roles that are for the category of vodka. And let's face it, not disrespecting any of the other categories, but vodka is the most fun and it's the most consumed no matter how much whiskey people try to tell you or now tequila people because tequila is definitely on the rise. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, vodka is approachable to everybody. And, you know, it, I think it gets a bad rap in terms of it being, you know, colorless, odorless, and flavorless, because that's the definition of it. However, I think it's a blank canvas to make a beautiful cocktail. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's approachable. And it can kind of be anything that you want it to be. So uh, I, luckily enough, went and interviewed. And, um, yeah, it's been... Seven and a half years, I think. More than seven years. That's what I do now. Mm. But I haven't haven't really looked back since. Now, was that a hard transition for you? Because I, I went from being a bartender to having what is commonly referred to as a regular job. And all of a sudden realized, I don't have money right now. I have to wait until yeah. payday. <laughs> was that a difficult transition? Yeah. So I think that the transition and the difficulties are a couple fold, right? I think the first one, which is, uh, you know, and not in any particular order, but the, the one that vividly jumps out in my head is like nine o'clock or 9 a.m. conference calls mm-hmm. or, you know, being in the office early, you know, in somewhat of a consistent basis. I mean, as you know, as a bartender, you couldn't call out. You can get somebody to cover your shift. You can, you know switch with somebody you know there was so much more flexibility and I think that I'm glad I started later because I needed to learn more responsibility because let's face it bartending in New York and kind of you know flip-flopping from one job to the next if you wanted to you could do that and so now this was like kind of a, a commitment this was a corporate job this was, you know, I got to mind my P's and Q's and can't do this, that, and the other. Um, and I think those difficulties were something in a lot of ways that either make or break people. And for me, it was like, this was a tremendous opportunity. So dealing with those difficulties, as you said, the money, I, I took a huge pay cut, you know, to leave that job. But I knew it came with benefits and it came with a 401k. And those had value, although I didn't see those in the check like every week or every other week. You know, after a while of living check to check and being a hustler, you start to realize, oh, wow, this is what salary, this is what earning a salary means. And you start to have an improved quality of life and you have vacation days and you have these things that I never had because, well, I had them but I had them before I entered into the hospitality world, which is like, you're kind of always, well, I was always picking up ships and I was always, because no one could tell me how much money I could make at that point then. Right. And you could work as many jobs as you want, just as, as, as many hours as you were willing to give, you could probably find that work and turn it into money. 
and I had done that for a long time. So yeah, th- those were the two most difficult things that popped out. But I'll throw it back to, you know, when I was saying about evaluating customers and understanding and putting puzzle pieces together. Corporate is the same way. You start to figure those politic and things out. And all of a sudden, now you know when to apply pressure or when to lay off. And I learned quick. And I attribute all of that to being behind the bar and having all of those hundreds and hundreds of interactions and hundreds of thousands of interactions over a career and a large scope of audience, right? Like I said, from college to corporate to nightclub and and international and everyone in between. You know, when I worked in Australia, that was a huge eye-opening experience because hospitality internationally is completely different. Why? Because they make inflated hourlies and they don't really make tips. So if when I worked in Australia, I, I, this is a vivid story. I, I remember working my first shift and somebody coming up like about two and a half, three hours into my shift and said, like, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from the States. And they were like, I knew it because I've been watching you for three hours and you haven't stopped smiling yet. I've never seen an Australian bartender smile as much as you did. Well, because whether they make one drink or they make a hundred drinks, they were still getting that hourly, you know, money every time. But here in America, it's obviously very different. If I could make 10 drinks and the next person made 20 drinks and they got a tip for every drink, then that person just doubled the money. So working fast and working efficient and still providing a high level of royal service was something that I was extremely dedicated in and paid dividends when I was in Australia or abroad in any way, shape or form, because that customer or that clientele base wasn't used to that. They were used to slow moving and they were used to, you know, I'll say just less than um, a speedy, efficient, uh, proper level of hospitality. Right. You've actually you you've actually traveled all over the world. Then, so you've talked about being in France. You talked about being in Australia. Yeah, it's uh, it it really rounded out my understanding of the industry. And when I had come back from both of those places and worked in New York, it just felt like the game got a lot easier. And I'll make the reference of like saying they moved the three point line closer. And it just made so much more sense. I had such a better grasp of people and human interaction. And I think understanding of the service industry. And I think that, you know, like I'll always say, people that travel and you go, traveling is the best teacher in the world. You learn so much and you you just, you really, you understand culture, you understand food, and you understand how different it is wherever you're from. And all those perspectives. And then when you bring them back, it's a wealth of knowledge that whether that was the mission or not, you realize right away. And I just found myself constantly saying, well, in France, they did it like this. And in Australia, they did it like this. So it's like if we could take the best bits from all of those places and then interject them into wherever you were, it was just a more well-rounded, better understanding of execution and service and efficiency. Right. So anyway, let's, t- let's talk about the vodka that you, uh, you're currently an ambassador yeah. for. Are you an ambassador for the entire distillery or are you just, just that one brand of vodka? So it's only Reka vodka. And, uh, I guess my 
I don't guess. I know my title is the U.S. National Ambassador. So I represent the brand here in the United States and have uh, since I started. Did you try out other companies or did you uh, did you just kind of uh, float towards them? So I had had a couple interviews with a couple other companies, but ultimately my buddy Tim again said that this was a good company. And what he had noticed is that a lot of the ambassadors that did work there, they stayed for a long time. So that was a good sign. And I really, like I said before, I connected with Reka based on the fact that there was a science background and I had never really drank uh, Icelandic vodka before. And I thought it was really good. And I, it was just unknown, right? You know, like the vodka category as a whole is very competitive. It's, it's one of the most competitive categories in the spirits industry as a whole. So I, I, I kind of like the underdog kind of aspect of it as well, because some of the other uh, brands that I interviewed for were much bigger and much more well-known. And that just didn't, that didn't seem as challenging and it wasn't as appealing as uh, Reka Vodka. Oh, okay. So how long has Reka Vodka been around? So the first distillation for Reka Vodka was in 2005, but it didn't make it into the United States until 2006. Um, so plus or minus some of those times. But yeah, it's been around for, oh my God, like 15, 16 years now, right? If I'm doing math correctly. Yeah, yeah about that, yeah. Um, Something like that. 16 years, I 16, think. 16, 17 years, yeah. So, um, yeah. uh, so it's starting to get distributed around the United States or it's being distributed around the United States. You said it's been here since 2006. It, yeah, it's been here since 2006 and it's pretty much been in all 50 States, um, somewhere in each state since I'm going to say since probably 2006, 2007. Uh, I know it did take a little bit of time and that was before, uh, my actual tenure of being on the brand, but yeah, the history of the brand is that it is a, it's a, it's been a, it's a it's a tough category, right? And it is a smaller kind of eccentric brand, but man, is it delicious! And the versatility of it working in up from a Bloody Mary to a Martini to that beautiful espresso Martini that I mentioned at the top of the show, it's uh, it really truly is an exceptionally smooth spirit. So for people that, uh, like you said, that are getting to the point where they're worried about their feet, their back, and, uh, you know, want to stay in generally in hospitality in one way or another, is becoming an ambassador a, a good venue to look into? Yeah, I think it, it's a great outlet. Uh, however, I will caveat that with that it is extremely competitive, right? And it is demanding in the effect of it, it's kind of what it sounds like, right? You're an ambassador. And so if you don't have a team, you're the only person that speaks on behalf of that brand. So for many years, you know, there was extensive travel and obviously COVID had put a little bit of a pause on that now. So getting excited to get out there and, and continue to get the job done and, and kind of get Reka in front of people. Uh, but it is one of the outlets. There are many outlets because of the skills that you learn from working in hospitality. Uh, ambassador is one. Um, and I think it's more so, high, it's a higher profile. So it's more in the bigger cities, right? Not that you can't do it in smaller cities, but it's much more apt to be in bigger cities like Chicago and LA and, you know, in Dallas, Miami, New York, but, you know, the other thing is you can always, because I feel like behind the bar, you're selling, right? You're selling a drink, you're 
you're making the drink, you're, you're talking about these things, you're talking with people. Sales positions are great positions because in a lot of ways you can manage your schedule and you can still be in nightlife and you already know the audience and you just like you learned all of these drinks and all these spirits, you can do the same when you're selling them to the same people because you can relate to those people when you spent time behind the bar. So whether that's an ambassador role, whether that's like a distribution or a sales role, or you can just get out from behind the bar and manage the bar and, you know, be a beverage director or be a floor manager or be a general manager or, you know, kind of do those things because then you can get back potentially if you want to have a family or if you want to have more of a static schedule that allows you to utilize the experience and the time that you put in and leverage that and stay in the industry. And that's essentially another big reason why I went from being a bartender into being an ambassador because I knew the audience. I was the person that I interact with and I know the schedule. I know the lifestyle. I knew all those things. So everything was really familiar. Now, when you're uh, doing your ambassador duties though, you're traveling around, are you doing like promotions or are you actually selling to the, uh, the, uh, potential retailers? So, so I do all the things, right. Whatever it's, however it's related to Reka, whether that be like you said, hosting uh, an event or promoting the brand that could be via social media, that could be in person. I will be training all of the sales reps for all the distributors across the United States on the brand. I'll be doing interviews very much like this and speaking to the press. And then obviously the big one is the consumer, right? I mean, I, I am the voice of the brand or I am the education behind the brand. And, you know, that's, that's how we get the messaging out there. I, I'll humbly say that there is a team that works on Reka. But as it relates to speaking to those four audiences, if something comes up, I'm usually the person that then would be cast out there to handle whatever it is, TV segments, like I said, interviews, training salespeople, training bartenders, and helping sales reps place. I don't directly have uh, sales, but they're indirect sales because I'm always talking about the brand and, and educating people. Oh, okay. Well, we're coming up uh, on the last call part uh, portion of our show. So um, why don't you give uh, everybody a little bit of information on how to contact you and find out more about uh, Reiki Vodka and uh, whatever else you uh, you want to convey? Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you guys are looking for any information on Reiki Vodka, it's www.reka.com. Uh, you guys can find where you can buy Reka. On the website, you can also find a handful of recipes. And if you've never been to Iceland, we have some beautiful photos on there. I would highly recommend traveling to Iceland. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever visited. And if you like the Northern Lights and you like volcanoes and you like glaciers, we've got it all for you in Iceland. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Cocktail Ninja on Instagram. And that's usually the best way to get in touch with me. You can just drop me a note. I'm happy to share a recipe, answer a question about vodka, you know, or, or the industry, whatever it is. So please feel free to reach out and uh, I'll do the best that I can to answer your question. Perfect. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for taking some time to be on Hey Bartender podcast. You were very informative on a lot of stuff that uh, 
one I forgot about and, you know, about customer service in general. Uh, a lot of great information that I'm sure that'll help out a lot of people that listen to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Anthony. It's nice to meet you. Okay, people, it is last call, last call for alcohol. Come on up to the bar because I don't have any wait staff running around and I can't uh, go to every table to take your order. That's just a lot of work, especially when I live as far away as I do is from all of you. You guys, I, I get listeners all over the world. This is awesome. I love doing this show. Big thanks to Trevor Schneider and Ray Vodka for being on the show today. It, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Trevor, like I said, he brought up a whole bunch of stuff that I'd forgotten about working in the service industry. And actually, I learned a whole bunch from him, too, about uh, networking and customer service and stuff like that. He was a lot of fun. And as usual, big thanks to Laura Hope and the Arctones for their song, Dr. Bartender. If you want to go check out more of their music, jump on Spotify, Apple Music, and uh, listen to more of their stuff. They got some really awesome tunes out there. If you want to contact Hey Bartender Podcast, me, the dude, because I'm the only person that runs this thing, uh, you can email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com, or you can contact me through the social medias on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find me at Hey Bartender Podcast. You can even find me on Twitter, but I'm not on there that much. Uh, my username there is at heybartenderp one You can also check out the website, www.heybartenderpodcast.com. You can check out new episodes. You can also check out some of the Hey Bartender podcast swag I got there. And then it reminds me, if you have a great story or you just want to promote yourself a little bit, all you have to do is contact me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com, and I will get you on the show. I love having guests on this show. It's a lot of fun. I get to meet all these really cool people. And if you just want to get on here and talk for a little bit, all you have to do is just email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. Or if you just want to drop a quick message to me, get on to anchor.fm. The link will be in the bio for this show. If uh, There's a little button there that says message. If you want to leave a voice message for Hey Bartender Podcast, leave it there. And you never know, you might get used for the next topic for the next episode. Please remember to comment, share, like, and subscribe to Hey Bartender Podcast. Any comments would be greatly appreciated. More listeners, that's even better. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is Anthony at Hey Bartender Podcast wishing all of you lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness. And remember, don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's let's go? I just got here.